0: Hey there, welcome to another edition of the Live Wire House Party. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. You know those people who just kinda seem to be good at everything? If you've heard this show before, you know that I am not one of those people. The good news is though, this week, we are gonna actually meet some people like that. First up, comedian Lacey Mosley. Uh, she is a cast member on a black lady sketch show on HBO. She also hosts the hit podcast called Scam Goddess, which is amazing. Then Michelle Zahner is gonna swing by. Uh, she plays music as Japanese breakfast, and she also just released this very highly acclaimed memoir called Crying in H-Mart, which is about food and her late mother. Then we're going to hear some music from multi-instrumentalist Kishi Bashi, who, of course, is also working on a film, because we're only featuring people this week who have too much talent. Thankfully, I will be here to balance things out. Stay with us. It all gets started right after this. progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates comparison rates not available in all states or situations prices vary based on how you buy hey elena hello luke how are you i'm doing well (laughs) i think you're doing good though am i seeing you on the zoom call tearing apart the plastic <laughs> from a six pack.
2: Yeah, I, um, I, I, I really had like five seconds. And so I brought the whole thing up attached to this plastic thing. But I don't have any scissors now. I'm afraid, though, that if I don't do it right away, I'm going to forget. And I've seen that picture. You know, so many times yeah. of the seagull, so I can't, right. I cannot, I can't see one of these things without immediately destroying it.
0: I love it. So you <laughs> are, you're, you're doing a, a solid for Mother Nature as we're yeah. doing this little radio show.
2: But I'm still too lazy to go find the scissors. So uh, <laughs> who
0: knows? <laughs> no, you're. I, I think you've done a pretty effective job. Hey, speaking of our radio show, should we get going? Hey, why not? Molly, are we recording this?
2: Hey, Luke, we're rolling.
0: All right, take it away. <laughs>
2: From TRX, it's Livewire. Recorded from our actual houses, welcome to the Livewire house party. This week, musician and writer Michelle Zoner and comedian and podcaster Lacey Mosley, with music from multi instrumentalist Kishi Bashi. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello. And now, the host of Livewire, Luke
0: Berman. Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We have a really fun show in store for you this week with just some immensely talented guests stopping by. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michelle Zahner is going to be here. She plays music as Japanese Breakfast. She also has this incredible new memoir out called Crying in H Mart, which really gets into the role that food has had in her life and her connection with her late mother, on the subject of which... We have asked the audience a question, as we do each week. This week, we asked, what food most reminds you of your childhood? Mm-hmm. And this may be a live wire record for the most responses we've Hands ever down. received to a question.
2: Without question. Yeah.
0: So we are going to get to those responses in a few minutes. First, though, of course, it's time for the best news we heard all week. <music> this is... The LiveWire segment that is just sweeping the farmer's markets all over the Pacific Northwest and other places. It's uh, (laughs) where we like to remind everyone that there is some good news happening in the world. Elena, what's the best news that you heard all week?
2: Oh, this is so good. (laughs) This is a story about a gentleman who lives in Spain named Manuel Lucio Dalio. Uh, he is definitely a crafty person, an engineer, somebody who knows his way around sound and electronics, but he's also a grandson. He has a 96 year old grandmother, or as is the Castilian parlance, a yaya. And I have a 96-year-old grandfather, and I know that it is the case in my family that the nonagenarians aren't necessarily that great with technology. Sure. But you really want to keep in touch with them. And maybe, like, the telephone call every day isn't what they need, but you just want to kind of text them. You know, you just want to send them little messages of love here and there. And so Manuel invented this thing called the Yaya Gram. (laughs) Okay. It's a box with a bunch of little holes in it,
0: like you would plug a a guitar amp. Or like the um, switchboard in the 1950s movie. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Hawthorne 357, please.
2: Yes. And then at the bottom of it, there's a little like receipt machine that does like thermally printed receipts and Uh a little teeny weeny microphone. And so each little hole of the switchboard is one of her grandchildren. And so she can make the switchboard connect and then talk into the microphone and then we'll send a text to any of her grandchildren. And then when they want to send something back, the little ticker tape goes and she can read, I love you. How are you doing? Made your favorite recipe for dinner. And it looks so Portland cool. It's kind
0: of like (laughs) lo-fi. That's great. So it's something that is very Simple for the user.
2: Yes. And if you go on Twitter, Manuel explains the tech, which is completely for me. I'm I'm half of a 96-year-old and it's <laughs> completely difficult to understand and involves a lot of digital things and wave files. But all yeah yeah, these are those switchboard
0: holes and the little receipt and the microphone. Oh, that is adorable. Isn't that great? The best news that I saw this week also is kind of about long distance communication. Mm-hmm but of like a very different variety involves these four-year-old twins from liberal Kansas. What? Their (laughs) names are Luna and Gia. And their mom around Christmas time wanted to do a fun thing for these twins. And so she had them write letters to Santa and then attach them to helium balloons and release them. One of the balloons, Luna's balloon floated for 650 miles Mm. and ended up in Louisiana where a guy named Alvin Bamberg was hunting in Grand Cane, Louisiana. And you're like, I'm just imagining him in like all camoed up and whatever. He's like, looks up and he sees this balloon. This was his quote uh, to CNN. I saw that balloon and God spoke to me. He said, you need to get this. And second of all... You need to get that trash out of the woods. So (laughs) Alvin goes and like gets this balloon out of the tree. And then he sees it's got this like letter to Santa on it with these uh, like these requests, which included, by the way, a Spider-Man ball, a doll from the movie Frozen, Mm. a puppy and a My Little Pony toy.
2: Oh, I want all those things.
0: I know, right? (laughs) How did Luna get my Christmas list? So he takes this thing home. He thinks it's kind of cute. Anyway, he puts it on Facebook because he doesn't know who Luna is, right? This is like a little kid's note. And Facebook being what it is, eventually this gets amplified enough to where it actually gets back to the mom, Letitia. No. And she reaches out and they all become friends and they start talking on FaceTime and he's like kind of an adopted uncle to these little twins. No. And so recently... Alan and his wife got in their car and drove 600-plus miles to Liberal, Kansas. And Elena, wait for it. They brought a puppy.
2: What? Oh, ouch. What? No. You got to yes, warn me before you bring the puppy I know. closer. I
0: know. I'm sorry. Now, here's the one thing, though. Like, as a parent, oh, right. I, I'm like, I hope he cleared it with the mom, <laughs> the whole puppy situation. <laughs> but I'm assuming Alan did that. And it's a very cute story. And it's probably the best news that I heard all week all right let's get our first guest over to this here house party you know elena when you you meet somebody at a party and then you just have this strong feeling of like oh i want to be this person's best friend yeah <laughs> and you also you have to low-key that because it's a little weird yeah. to just say to somebody right when you meet them I sort of feel that way about our next guest. She is really incredible. She's the host of this podcast, Scam Goddess, that I have been listening to a bunch lately. And she's also on the new season of HBO's sketch show, A Black Lady Sketch Show. Her name is Lacey Mosley, and we are very excited to welcome her to the LiveWire house party.
3: Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Come on, house party.
0: Right? We are so happy to have you here. We're big fans, uh, Mm -hmm. both uh, of the uh sketch show and also your podcast which I want to talk about in a minute first though I want to find out like what life was like for you as a kid growing up in Dallas were you into comedy were you and your friends like making sketches and recording them on your phones or whatever like what what was that like for you
3: Oh, yes. I've always been into comedy. I told my mother when I was five that I wanted to be an actor and um, she got me some headshots. And, <laughs> honey, I was at the mall trying to get involved in every scam. OK, John Robert Powers, <laughs> Barbizon, you Barbizon on the radio. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Little Lacey was
3: going to be there, honey. OK, I was like, we heard this on the radio. We're here to become a star tomorrow. Um,
0: so. Did you book anything like were you in some local like Dallas stuff?
3: Well, my mom actually didn't want me to be a professional actor at five. She kind of was like, yeah, and then she was like, girl, I don't want you to be out here on drugs, chass, so we're gonna we go <laughs> let you wait. And, and I look, there's plenty of well-adjusted peep actors who were child actors and child stars, but there's also a lot who, you know, went through the dark sides of Hollywood. So I appreciated my mom wanting to protect me and also knowing that I was the type of kid who was probably go fall for <laughs> she
4: knew She
3: knew what kind of child she raised. So she was like, "Listen, <laughs> we're gonna let you get older and more mature." <laughs> so I just mostly took classes and would film fun videos with my friends um, that were absolutely ridiculous. And um, I did theater my entire life, mm. so yeah.
0: Then you got to LA eventually, and I know you uh, were part of Upright Citizens Brigade, which is mm-hmm. uh, one of the big like improv places in LA. One of the things I've always wondered about that everyone talks about like classes. I'm taking classes at UCB. What mm. are you learning in those classes? about how to be a better improviser, performer, how to get funnier? Like what's the curriculum of those classes?
3: Um, it's, it's a lot of math, which like, you're not Ooh. actually doing physical oh. math, but it's learning the math of comedy, you know, and how to use what you have to the best of your abilities. Mm. And so, you know, a lot of times we say comedy comes in threes, you know, you like, that's how you'll hit a joke or, you know, what, or specificity, like, that's the kind, con- you know what I mean? Like, there's a difference yeah. between being like, I was following you for three miles or I was following you in my Ford Pintel with a diaper on for three miles, <laughs> Right. (laughs) Like, you know, so just learning like how to use what you have to the best of your abilities, which is why I love UCB, because they didn't try to make me something different. They were just like, what do you have? What can you bring to the table? And like, how can you use that? So, yeah, it was Mm -hmm. fun.
5: What
0: was it like for you getting a black lady sketch show? I mean, did you audition? Did they come see you at UCB? What was that like?
3: So it was crazy, actually, because I saw the first season and I was so excited to watch all these funny black women. But I was also like, wait a minute, I didn't even get an audition for this. Like, hold on, or screw, screw. So, you know, immediately I was texting my agents, like, if this comes back around, if they get a second season, like, I have to be in the room. Like, please, I don't care what we got to do. Um, you know, tell them I'm Gabrielle Union. And then when I show up, I, I'll, I just won't be. Like, we'll just scam them. You know what I mean? Like, whatever we got to do. So I was really excited when it came back around. And I auditioned and the audition was crazy. It was like I had to play like five characters talking to themselves. And so I was Mm -hmm. just like throwing my braids over my face and like doing accents. It was like crazy. (laughs) So they call me and they tell me that they wanted me for the job. But unfortunately, because I was shooting this other show, Florida Girls, at the time, there was a conflict. And so I couldn't do it. And I was crushed. And then cut to the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Which um, we were right about to go shoot Florida Girls. And um, Tom Hanks got the Rona and the NBA shut down. And I was yeah. like, ooh, well, child, pack it up. <laughs> um,
0: and people were like, That was a weeks. crazy day. <laughs>
3: yeah. It was an insane day. I was in the grocery store, you know, trying to stockpile yeah. like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But I realized then I would not have survived the apocalypse because <laughs> I ran into Ira Madison III, <laughs> oh, who's another podcaster yeah. and who uh-huh. I love. Sure. And, and we're chatting, right, about... About, oh this is so crazy we look at each other's cards and we both have just stockpiled kombucha and we're like this was uh, what <laughs> we like the end of the world and we're not even getting toilet paper we're like this will save me
0: <laughs> uh, this is a live wire house party we're talking to Lacey mosley uh she's uh one of the regulars on a black lady sketch show she also has a great podcast called the scam goddess podcast um in season two of a black lady sketch show you are in a particular sketch where you the premise is you're twerking And a guy is getting very um, bored with the twerking. He's getting getting sleepy. Sleepy. I don't want to give away the reveal, but let's just say he's not super interested. And you keep upping your twerk game. I have so many questions about this. One, did you actually know all of these different dance moves and versions of twerking that you're breaking out? And also physically, what was it like to do that sketch? Because just the part that made it onto screen looks exhausting. And I'm sure there was like five extra hours of twerking that didn't get in there
3: probably around more 14 hours. Oh,
0: my
3: um, gosh. <laughs> I lost four pounds on set that day just because it was mm. just twerking all day. And some of the moves I knew already, and there was a choreographer. She does, like, Beyonce's choreography. She's, like, so fantastic and talented. Mm. Um, but she was teaching me new moves, like, in between setups and stuff. So there was a lot going on. Mm. <laughs> wow. And um, you auditioned for the sketches. So I had to audition for the torque sketch on Zoom. So I was literally, like, doing backbends on my couch. <laughs> (laughs) and like trying to twerk and like somehow fit it in the camera (laughs) so yeah you know shout out to people who do OnlyFans. i don't know how y'all managed to twerk into like a camera this small like (laughs) i was really hitting the angles uh but yeah that's how it happened and i ended up doing a lot of physical stuff in uh this season and realized like physical comedy is a big part of what i do and it was really fun
0: We got to take a real quick break, but we're going to be back in a moment with Lacey Mosley. She's on A Black Lady Sketch Show, and we want to talk about the Scam Goddess podcast, too, when we come back from this short break here on the Livewire House Party. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back.
2: Oh, congratulations.
0: But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of LiveWire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at LiveWire, Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of i probably a 501c3 they don't let me near any of the paperwork Mm -hmm. or bookkeeping and it's really better that way point is we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members and we would love it if you could join us in that right now plus there are all kinds of sweet perks including uh special discounted tickets to live recordings on-air shout outs exclusive content What we're Mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you.
1: Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh, my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zebiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zebiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night. Drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Z for sponsoring this episode and our good times.
0: Welcome back to the Live Wire house Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank at my house. Elena Passarello is at her place and we are talking to Lacey Mosley from A Black Lady Sketch Show as well as the Scam Goddess podcast. Before the break, we were talking about a sketch that you're in in this new season, Lacey, uh, where your character is, is twerking and uh, it's super funny. It's super physical for you. But then at the end of the sketch, there's a kind of a a series of visual jokes that also then Mm -hmm. have a message to them. Right. You know, there's a commentary about black women's needs and how white feminism has let down black women historically. And I was curious about the way that you, when making this show, how you guys sort of balance being funny with also really trying to say stuff that's real and meaningful.
3: Yeah, I mean, one of the great things about a black lady sketch show is um, that that it is written in all black women writers room where they do have the insight and they don't have to then explain certain <laughs> things to people who may not be familiar with them. There's so much freedom and creativity there. Um, and I think that it's wonderful that Robin Thede has created so many fun opportunities that maybe do educate or maybe do say something poignant at the end, but in a way that's you know palatable. And, and we always say it's funny because it's true. So it's like when you see these things and they're brought to you in this manner you're like oh this is hilarious but it's also hilarious because mm-hmm. historically and contextually it's sad yeah. and true um but what you won't see on a black lady Scud show is um making fun of trauma which i really have appreciated i mean with everything that's happening with black lives matter and just like you know black people and policing in general like you're never going to see jokes like that where it's mm-hmm. at the expense of black folks and their pain mm-hmm. but you know they try to make jokes that are uplifting things that do need to change or mm-hmm. where we can all laugh but then be like oh well you know that's actually a really good point. So, Mm -hmm. I love that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Scam Goddess podcast. How did this thing get started? Like, were you just somebody who had been scammed, were fascinated with scams? Like, how did you end up hosting this show?
3: Yeah. The whole podcast is a scam. Um, It's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a comedy show. And um, at the time when I was pitching a comedy podcast kind of around, everyone was like, well, we're inundated with comedy podcasts and, you know, you're not really famous. So, like, we don't really get the draw, you know. And then so with true crime and stuff, I realized that there's so much true crime and not enough true con, which I think mm-hmm. is more fun because right. you listen to an episode and there's not going to be like some nice lady getting murdered. You know, right. it's going to be <laughs> yeah. people right. losing money. You know, right. sometimes there's something dark, but we try to stay away from the dark darkness but you're gonna have a good time you can laugh at these criminals and you know their fumbles and and everything about it has been a scam like we were Spotify's pick of the year in the business category in 2020 yeah right and it was like business and I was like yeah the business of robbery what y'all talking about okay like robbery were like one of the few people who didn't get a stimulus package and they needed a stimmy. How are you going to rob people when they're at home? You know, let's think about that. Think
0: it was about one of the that. first industries to go down yeah. was mugging. It yeah. was. Nobody was out and about. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm not trying to like, uh, you know, nominate myself to be on your show. But let me tell you, my mom, Susie Burbank, wrote the book on scams. You Ooh, name it. Coloring it. contests. In our town, there was like a grocery store that would like you could color like a paper bag at Thanksgiving and they'd give you like 10 bucks. She had my sisters color in like 50 paper bags, taking them to every single grocery store in our town. It was a whole sweatshop. I mean, she would like (laughs) go into the dairy department and find the milk that was going to expire and then like go make an offer. Like she just, my mom was working it from every single angle, which is part of why I love your show, because you, you really hear people on their grind. You hear about, you know, people trying to hustle and, you know, figure it out.
3: Oh, we stand, Ms. Burbank, okay? Right. Susie yes, <laughs> We stand.
0: Susie <laughs> like, B.
3: right. And that's one thing that we adore is that for the most part we're punching up like a lot of the Mm -hmm. scams we talk about are you know capitalism just in general like how people are finding their way through this system that is very oppressive to people especially when you aren't born with money or opportunities that other people have so I love to see a good scam on daddy government because we all know after 2020 (laughs) daddy government went out for a pack of cigarettes and never came back we were like daddy help us (laughs) we've been giving you money all this time daddy and you
0: it's gone. <laughs> okay, uh, because you're a featured player on a Black Lady Sketch Show and because you're also an expert on all things sketchy mm-hmm. as the host of the podcast Scam Goddess, Lacey, we wanted to get your expert opinion on a little game that we're calling What's Sketchier? Ooh, yes. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> sketchier than OPP. Which right. I, I, don't we, I don't think we have to. <laughs> if you know, you know. Let's we'll just leave that there for public radio. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Basically how this is going to work. Elena has got a series of, uh, of scenarios and different kinds of things. And we would like Lacey Mosley, your expert opinion on what is sketchier. Okay. Yes. All right, Elena, take it away.
2: Okay. Number one, which is sketchier. Someone trying to sell you a Gucci bag in a parking lot or an Uber driver who doesn't follow the directions that come up on the
3: app. Uber driver, at 100%. Yeah. If I'm selling you, you know, parking lot purses, mm-hmm. you know what you're getting. Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> straightforward. Yeah. If the Gucci came out of my trunk and I'm looking side to side, you know, as we make this transaction, like, we all know what's happening. But yeah. if an Uber driver is over here tricking me and going out of his way and taking all these different turns, now you're, you're taking something professional where I had an expectation on what was going to happen, yeah. mm-hmm. and you're scamming me. So, you know, I like an upfront scam, you know?
0: Yeah. I don't want to make it awkward, but I want to say no offense, I promise you the computer knows how to get there better than you do, sir. Right, right? like was, no, this is faster. I'm like, no, there's a lot of a lot of software behind this route that it wants us <laughs> to take. Okay, I'm kind of going with the software mm-hmm. on this.
3: Exactly, like Waze has come up with so many amazing things. I, I love Waze, but also sometimes Waze is a little too much. It'll be like drive mm-hmm. down this alleyway and through this lady's backyard, Karen is cool with <laughs> it, care. and you're gonna save thirty seconds on your trip. Like,
2: <laughs> so. Okay, number two, which is sketchier. Essential oils or Gwyneth's goop empire.
3: (laughs) Ooh, ooh, that's hard. This candle smells like my,
2: you know...
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna have to go with goop. Sorry, Gwenny, Love you, sis. But at least with essential oils, yeah, okay, maybe I may have bought, like, 65 packs to sell to my <laughs> friends and family, and now I'm just, I got oil for the rest of my life. Sure. <laughs> but at least, if you rub some peppermint oil under your nose, aren't you refreshed? Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, right. at least you're right. still getting something. And with goop, I don't know, with their ties to some sketchy things that are happening right now, I'm just gonna have to say, <laughs> sorry, Gwenny, girl. Yes. I still love you. still love you okay which is sketchier the cash app or craigslist oh that's hard because we all know cash app is the app for crime um <laughs> <laughs> it's sketchy over there and that's yeah. why we love it money comes quick basically western <laughs> union on your phone if you need something just real sketchy uh to send money <laughs> um but then Craigslist, Craigslist is an OG of the fraud mm-hmm. and scam department. You know what I mean? Like, you know how many times I've walked down a dark alley and I was like, maybe I'll get murdered or maybe I'll have a great job opportunity. They said, meet him on this alley. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, this lady just ran past me screaming. But, you know, I'm going to still see if I can get the job, you know.
0: Um,
3: I'm gonna have to go with Craigslist. It's an old timey, ancient yep. scam. And yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love that for Craigslist.
0: <laughs> that. Is Lacey Mosley. <laughs> Lacey, thank you so much for coming on the live warehouse party. We really appreciate it.
3: Thank you for having me. This was so much fun.
0: Yes. Uh, the second season of a black lady sketch show is now airing Friday nights on HBO. You can also check out her podcast, Scam Goddess, wherever you find those kinds of things. Hey, special thanks this week to Brian Yellen of Portland, Oregon. Brian is part of the LiveWire member community and has been generously supporting our show with a donation each month, which we're very thankful for because it is genuinely how we are able to keep doing the show, which is a big goal of ours in doing the show is to keep doing it. So a big thanks to Brian for making that possible. This is the LiveWire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Of course, each week we like to ask the LiveWire listeners a question. And because we're talking about food on the show this week, we asked the listeners what food most reminds you of your childhood. We had an avalanche of responses. Elena Passarello has been collecting them up. You have some of them now. Which ones are jumping out to you?
2: How about this one from Matt? Matt finally remembers A&W root beer floats. (gasps) Uh Aha. But real oh, yeah. ones from an actual A and W restaurant, and yes. you ordered it from a phone in the booth, and you're nodding, so you know about this. I did not know about this.
0: We had this in my hometown of Seattle, Washington. Well, actually, just a little bit north of there, and we used to get to go to A and W because my mom was really big on this coupon book. It was called the Entertainment Book. <laughs> yeah. That you'd you'd buy. Yeah. And A and W, thankfully. Had a lot of coupons in that. So we would get, you know, our parents to take us up to the A&W. And yeah, you could order it on a phone. Uh, At one time, the people bringing the food were on roller skates.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: What's another food that reminds one of our listeners of childhood?
2: I'm excited to see what you think of this particular food from Lisa. Lisa calls it the latchkey kid enchilada. It's a slice of bologna, slathered in Miracle Whip salad dressing, rolled up and pinned with a toothpick eaten while standing in the kitchen after school in the early 80s in a small southwest Kansas town.
0: (laughs) Uh, I did not grow up as a latchkey kid. You know, I'm one of seven kids. My mom was home with us. But I was jealous of this one part of latchkey Mm -hmm. kid life, which was just unfettered access to junk food. I would go to all my friends' houses whose parents weren't home so we could just eat unlimited, like, Velveeta cheese and Twinkies. We would watch pro wrestling and DuckTales. Oh, yeah. It just seemed like, like a babies. fantasy land to me, the world of the latchkey kid.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, I think it still affected my eating habits to this day. My, I have a, like, I come home from work. I was a latchkey kid. And I think well, like, what junk food can I stuff my face with before the adults come home? But of course I'm the adult now. And so <laughs> I should stop it.
0: What's another food that has our listeners remembering their younger days?
2: All right. This one is getting me, man. This one is sending me. It's from Jason. Uh, Jason's food is the Pizza Hut personal pan pizzas that they gave you just for reading books. Right? Like, what? Do, do they still do that, do you think?
0: I don't know the latest on that, but I know that as a kid, if you're my age, I'm 45 now, most of the reading we did was to get free pizza. It was very pizza based.
2: I just couldn't believe that they would give you something so delicious for something that, I mean, I was a book, like my best friends were books. And now I read like five books a week, you know, for my various jobs. Mm -hmm. Sure. If I had pizza for every book that I read, I would be just like my blood type would be marinara. (laughs) I still do that. I just
0: reward myself with a pizza each night when I'm done doing the reading associated with hosting LiveWire. (laughs) All right, speaking of food, uh, our next guest is probably best known for her music, which she performs as Japanese Breakfast, but she also knows a lot about food and a lot about grief, as she writes in her amazing new memoir, Crying in H Mart, which details her mother's passing and also the connection that they had through food. Uh, we are really excited to have her here on the Live Wire house party. Michelle Zonner. welcome to the show.
6: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, This book is incredible. We're also really big fans of your music. I want to start at the beginning, though, of this memoir. What is H-Mart, and why do you love it so much?
6: Uh, H-Mart is a grocery chain now. Um, It's a Korean grocery chain. And I found myself... um, going there a lot after my mom, who is Korean, passed away. And um, it was a real, like, key to my grieving process, I guess. You know, I lived uh, as a caretaker for six months in Eugene during my mom's illness. And for a long time, I could only really remember these really traumatic experiences of like watching her health deteriorate and going to H Mart for the first time, it was like uncovering a lot of that sort of trauma. And I would see a can of like sweet beans. And I would have this memory of my childhood of when my mom and I would eat like this Korean snow cone together with red bean and uh, different types of fruit. And then I would see like, um, which are like these styrofoam type of like corn, they're like rice cakes kind of, uh, and I ate them a lot as a kid. And so it like helped me excavate a lot of, like, really beautiful memories that I had of my mom before she was sick, and, and I became just um, so comforted by going there and, and going there once once a week. I still go there pretty much <laughs> once a week.
0: Do you find writing something like this, a memoir, and writing your music, do they kind of come from the same place in your brain and your heart, or, or is, are they really different kind of creative experiences?
6: They're similar in the way that I feel like, you know, you're taking from the same pool of memory and sort of taking a magnifying glass to the ordinary and, and discovering meaning and depth and what's extraordinary about that moment. I think that it's basically leaning into your sensitivities as a person for both of those things. Um, writing a book felt a lot longer and, and harder, and there are a lot more <laughs> words, and, and that was the main difference, I think.
0: Um you grew up mostly in Oregon and um your your mom is originally was from Korea your dad is uh, a white guy from the US what was that <laughs> like what was that like uh, generally speaking in your childhood to kind of grow up in that environment
6: Um it was delightful in some ways I think that as a as a child I really felt like I had the best of both worlds it was something that made me feel very special um, obviously like Eugene is not rich with too much diversity in its population so when I became a teenager I I started to I guess just feel a little bit uncomfortable being mixed race. Um, You know, obviously, like Eugene is like a pretty like outward facing liberal town. um, So I wouldn't say that I encountered like a tremendous amount of, you know, aggressive racism. Uh, But, you know, when you're a teenager, any small difference in your person and character like feels... You know, just like a scab, like anything that marks you as different. And so I think in my adolescence, I sort of shirked that part of my identity for a long time. And then it wasn't until my mom got sick that I found myself sort of chasing after something I had pushed away Mm. uh, in, in a sense. Little things really like, you know, my mom's name was Chung Mi and my middle name was Chung Mi. And when I was younger, I used to pretend I didn't have a middle name because mm. Michelle Zahner sounds so white passing. And I just did, I just never wanted anyone to assume anything about me because I was Asian. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be like this neutral body that could just like prove itself on entry or something like that. And, you know, I was embarrassed that people would mispronounce it like Chow Main. So I, I just would do little things like that to kind of like distance myself from that part of myself, I think.
0: I felt reading this book like I really got a. Interesting view into your mom's personality, and, and one of the ways that it really comes out is in, like, her food preferences. Would you mind reading uh, a little bit where you talk about, you know, the stuff that your mom uh, liked to eat and, and the way that she would order her food wherever she might have been?
6: Uh, yeah. What I never seem to forget is what my mother ate. She was a woman of many usuals, half a patty melt on rye with a side of steak fries to share at the Terrace Cafe after a day of shopping an unsweetened iced tea with half a packet of Splenda, which she would insist she'd never use on anything else. Minestroni, she'd order steamy hot, not steaming hot, with extra broth from the Olive Garden. On special occasions, half a dozen oysters on the half shell with champagne mignonette and steamy hot French onion soup from Jake's in Portland. She was maybe the only person in the world who'd request steamy hot fries from a McDonald's drive-thru in earnest. Jampong, spicy seafood noodle soup with extra vegetables from Café Sol which she always called Sol Café transposing the syntax of her native tongue She loved roasted chestnuts in the winter though they gave her horrible gas She liked salted peanuts with light beer. She drank two glasses of Chardonnay almost every day but would get sick if she had a third She ate spicy pickled peppers with pizza At Mexican restaurants she ordered finely chopped jalapenos on the side She ordered dressings on the side She hated cilantro, avocados, and bell peppers. She was allergic to celery. She rarely ate sweets, with the exception of the occasional pint of strawberry Haagen-Dazs, a bag of tangerine jelly beans, one or two seized chocolate truffles around Christmas time, and a blueberry cheesecake on her birthday. She rarely snacked or took breakfast. She had a salty hand.
0: We're talking to Michelle Zahner about her new memoir, Crying in H Mart. Uh, she also creates music under the name Japanese Breakfast.
2: What was your approach or, or, or maybe when in the process did you know that food was going to be such an important part of the memoir?
6: From the beginning, really, um, the first essay I wrote was largely about Mang Chi, who is this Korean YouTube vlogger who has really kind of demystified the Korean cooking process to a lot of English speakers. Um, she's very famous; she has like five million uh, YouTube wow. subscribers, <laughs> and she's such a she's been so generous uh, with her her time and, and knowledge. And um, yeah, you know, I just thought it was a really sweet story because after my mom passed away, I just was naturally drawn. Um, to learning how to cook Korean food for a variety of reasons that are in the book uh, in part because I I felt like my culture needed protecting in a way that I had always felt like innately Korean because my mom was Korean and then when she passed away it felt like this thing I had to really work to preserve mm. um, and yeah there's a variety of things that happen in the book but but I found myself um, turning to this woman and cooking with this woman and I just thought it was a really sweet story that like it's kind of like a Korean Julie and Julia where like this <laughs> woman I had like never met be, had come to mean so much to me and had anchored me to, through through this really difficult time in my life. Um, And, you know, that sort of was the step towards, like, why I even ended up in H Mart, you know, once a week to begin with was because in order to make these recipes, I had to go get the ingredients. And then I found myself in this grocery store that brought back so many wonderful memories that I had kind of forgotten about. Um, And so I always knew that that was going to be the sort of major thematic vehicle in this book.
0: You know, one of the things you also mentioned about your mom was that she did a lot of kooky things like trying to make you grow taller or like pinch your (laughs) nose when you were a kid. And be—I think what we might describe in this day and age as like pretty critical about certain things. When did you start to reconcile this obvious deep love uh, between the two of you with also this kind of, you know, uh, some of the things that, that she was doing to try to make you the best version of yourself? I think you're right.
6: I mean, I think a lot of mothers and daughters have this really complicated relationship. One thing I've quoted a lot, and I'm not entirely sure what episode is it. it it's from, but um, in The Sopranos, uh, Tony says something to Carmela where he says, like, you know, her and Meadow, their daughter, are fighting. And he says, oh, mothers and their daughters, you know, don't worry, Carm, she'll return to you. I think in a lot of ways that's mm-hmm. some, something that a lot of, um, you know, teenage girls and their moms go through. And, you know, my mom... Uh, one major point of contention between my mom and I was that I had this creative energy and I had this real desire to become, I wanted to become a rock musician. And, you know, as an immigrant parent uh, who had, you know, major cultural differences from me, that was something that my mom felt was really her duty to protect me from. It was something that she felt I did not understand the real financial risk of and also the amount of rejection and I was I was you know, bound to face uh, with that sort of lifestyle so my mom really felt like it was her duty to protect me from that and, and of course I just hated her for it because I had discovered this passion that I had and uh, this thing that I loved and, and I felt like she was really in the way of it and it wasn't until I went to college and sort of entered my early 20s that you know when we had a really meaningful phone call where she said to me I, I realized I just I just never met someone like you. Mm. And that was like such an intense moment for me because it's not something that you really uh, expect to hear from your parent who's supposed to know you best. And I think that that was sort of her way of saying, like, I think I get it now. Mm-hmm. You know, this weird thing I thought you would grow out of is is not maybe a weird thing that you're going to grow out of.
0: <laughs> um, it's interesting to note, I guess, that the first album you released while playing as Japanese Breakfast um, was after your mom passed away. And, and I know you've described that album as being very much related to your mom's passing. What do you think she would have made of, of of the fact that that's the album that really puts you on the map for a lot of people musically?
6: I have no idea. I mean, I think that she would be thrilled. You know, I mean, I, I my mom, unfortunately, never got to see me experience any sort of success as an artist. And, you know, there have been so many uh, times mentally that I've been like, I told you so. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's a really strange serendipitous thing my life became very charmed after she passed away you know and and it feels I'm not a, a religious person or, or a particularly spiritual person but it does feel like my mom has looked out for me in, in a way because I've I've only had great luck uh and success as an artist since she passed away and and made this very like personal art about that experience and so yeah I mean I, I I'm sure she would be She would be thrilled. I recently did like a a photo shoot for Harper's Bazaar where they put me in a Chanel suit. (gasps) And my mom, like Mm. uh, my mom, like most Korean women was like obsessed with Chanel. And uh, (laughs) they were like, yeah, just tilt a little bit. Show us your tattoos. Like we like the juxtaposition of the, the luxury with like, you know, something harder. And I was like, God, if my mom could only hear (laughs) you say that because, like, my mom hated my tattoos and would have just been so delighted to um, see me like that, you know. Oh,
0: that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything that you feel like you understand about grief and loss now as we interview you that you wouldn't have known, you know, before your mom got sick?
6: Yeah, actually, um, there's a line in— you know, there's a lot of sort of borrowed lines from Japanese breakfast songs that made their way into "Crying in H Mart." That sort of the real heads will recognize um, <laughs> as the Easter eggs, but only the real uh, heads know. Only the real heads know. There's a new song uh, that just came out called called "Posing in Bondage" that uh, I released, and uh, there's a line in that song that says. Um, when the world divides into two people, those who have felt pain and those who have yet to. And and that line also makes an appearance in the book and is a little bit more thought out. But, um, you know, one thing that grief really opened up to me is I feel like other people who've experienced loss are more readily um, able to connect with you, uh, knowing that you've endured the same kind of feeling. And one of the heartbreaking parts of my story is that I felt like things were just starting to get really great again between my mother and I and I had this very limited few years where you know we had sort of like drifted apart in my adolescence and then come back together and start to really appreciate each other as like peers, as adults and Mm -hmm. and be able to confide in each other and I'm very sad that I didn't get to have longer with with my mother in that
0: way Mm. Um, A more uh, I guess sort of prosaic question if somebody finds themselves in an H-Mart What is the one thing they have to make sure that they taste or make sure they pick up from like an ingredient section? And then this is maybe an impossible question to answer because there's like 8 billion things there. But like, what's, what's something people should not miss if they find themselves at an H Mart, in your opinion?
6: Um, I mean, I guess like uh, any good Korean, I'd have to say kimchi. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, uh, they have a great song <laughs> <of kimchi laughs> there, but uh, you know, something like less uh, basic, I guess, is um. I'm a big fan of uh, it's not even Korean, but Cupy uh, mayonnaise. I highly recommend uh, everyone invest in in a tube of Cupy mayonnaise. Okay. It's a Japanese mayonnaise, and um, it tastes so much better than than regular mayonnaise. <laughs>
0: What do you attribute that to? Is it is it just?
6: I think it has MSG in it. Yeah. I think it
0: <laughs> so, Cupy mayonnaise, um, and 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 obviously some kimchi because uh, it sounds like they have some some really good stuff there. Michelle, thanks so much for coming on the Livewire House Party.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That was Michelle Zoner who plays music as Japanese Breakfast here on the Livewire House Party. Her incredible new memoir, which I just can't recommend highly enough, is Crying in H Mart. Just make sure that you are fed before you start reading it, mm-hmm. <laughs> because along with being very emotionally moving, it will really make you hungry. This is the Live Wire House Party. we got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to hear some wonderful music from one of our very favorites, Kishi Bashi, will be here. So stay with us. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one of a kind handcrafted tea blends like Cinnamon Churro Chai and Blueberry Cream Earl Grey. Use the code Livewire, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to the LiveWire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. All right, let's get some music going here on this house party. Our next guest is a multi-instrumentalist. He blends pop, rock, electronica with a bunch of other forms in his multitude of musical endeavors. Uh, He's also been working on a film project, which we're going to hear about. His new EP Emigrant, was released earlier this month. Karu Ishibashi, also known as Kishibashi, welcome to the Live Wire House Party. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's nice to um, see you. The last time uh, we were all together, of course, we were in a room together, like the olden times, but <laughs> this will have to suffice <laughs> for this round. <laughs> Tell me about the creation of this, this new EP, Emigrant. Uh, you were driving across the country with your daughter?
5: Yeah, I ended up... Uh... You know, it's one of those things where last summer, like a lot of musicians, I really didn't have any tours. So I had a whole lot of time. I had this camper. And so I took it across country all the way to Oregon, actually. um, And on the way, stopped in Montana. And there's a little town called Emigrant. It's beautiful. And, uh, you know, because to emigrate is to leave, you know, in search of a better life. Immigrant is to enter a country. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it kind of made sense. Like everybody's, you know, we're all trying to figure out, especially myself, you know, since I had all this time about like, who I am, like what I'm, where my place is here, like what, what is my role as an artist, et cetera, et cetera. And these are all kind of things that I I left to find out. It's a, it's the idea that, you know, when you leave the city and you kind of commune with nature, it kind of gives you a sense of like humility and also like a, an idea of like what it might have actually looked like a hundred years ago. Mm. You've been working on another
0: project as well, right? That's being described as kind of a song film.
5: Yeah, so o- Omoyari, the uh, same name as my album that came out a couple of years ago, is uh, it's a documentary about uh, minority identity and kind of like this Japanese American experience and also you know history. So like internment camps um, and a lot of World War II history. And well, first of all, there's there's some camps out. The, the internment camps were all in these very remote areas. So and I definitely did got a chance to like see a lot of them when I was out there.
0: Um, did you then come back to Georgia with the memories in your head and start r- actually sitting down and writing the music or are you writing it along the way?
5: Uh, I think it's kind of along the way. I mean, the way my music process works is I just collect, collect, collect ideas. And then I put thoughts down. It's not, you know, I can never just sit down in one place, like at a cafe and, <laughs> or, you know, it's, it's always just a collection of a year's work of just thinking and improvising and songwriting.
2: Speaking of cafes. I have to tell you, my brother uh, lives in Georgia and sent me a bunch of coffee because he was trying to patronize his favorite local businesses. <laughs> sure. And I pulled out this bag of coffee and it had your name on it.
5: <laughs> yeah, I got, I got my own coffee. How cool How is that? How did that
2: come about? I was so excited <laughs> to drink your coffee. It was delicious, yeah. by the
5: way. It's, uh, oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, well, there's this great roaster. Uh, it's called Jittery Joe's in Athens. And it's great. It's local. They make the best coffee. So uh, I, I partnered up with them, did like a tasting and the roaster is like my buddy, you know, so he, Aha, he got some, okay. some great beans.
0: Are you a coffee connoisseur? Like, do you know what's going on when you're doing the tasting?
5: Um, I can tell what I like and I can I can tell what I don't like. And uh, so, so no, <laughs> no, but, uh, but I like coffee. I love coffee. Yeah. It's part of my life, you know, yeah. at least in the morning it is.
0: What are the overriding flavor notes of the Kishi Bashi blend?
5: Uh, hints of Asian and violin. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> Maybe some empathy. Some Recently, rosin. <laughs> there's a little bit of <laughs> some rosin. Yeah. Yeah. Well what song are we gonna hear? Uh yeah, I'm gonna do a song called Wait for Springtime. This is a song I actually finished it, you know, in Emigrant. Um kind of just about metaphorical springtime, you know, after COVID is what I mm-hmm. the way I imagined it. All
0: right, well, let's hear it. This is Kishibashi on the Live Wire House
5: Party.
7: And the magic of the seasons, second to no one. We came together in springtime the summer came too fast And the acre of our hill Sunny, big and small T'was empty in the winter I'll just wait for springtime And I wanted you so savage as a gentleman and admire The most famous of the sinners We were silenced all but one I was reaching for the stars Just wait for springtime Sunny days are behind Every cloud up in the sky Winter's coming from above and below We'll be ready somehow Heaven save us for now Heaven save us from now For springtime And they sentence us forever In prison for no crime Our hearts are made of tender With no room to nickel or dime When the carriage stops at night players in silence i'll just wait for springtime wait for springtime Sunny days are behind every cloud up in the sky Winter's coming from above and below We'll be ready somehow, heaven save us for
0: That was Kishi Bashi <laughs> here on the Live Wire House Party. His EP, Emigrant, is available now. All right. Before we get out of here, a little preview of what's coming up on next week's show. Uh, we are going to be celebrating Mother's Day, but in like a real way. We're going to be <laughs> honoring the fact that parent-child relationships can be a little complicated at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, first up, we're going to be talking to the filmmaker Barry Sonnenfeld, about his relationship with his mom, which he writes about in this really interesting memoir he has out called Barry Sonnenfeld, Call Your Mother. Uh, Then we're going to talk to the writer Saeed Jones about his coming of age uh, as a queer black man in Texas and how that impacted his relationship with his mom. And then we're also going to hear some music from Alila Diane. Plus, of course, we are going to be looking to get your answers to our listener question, Elena, what are we asking the live wire listeners for next week's show?
2: Well, uh, in keeping with the theme, we're gonna ask who is your favorite fictional mother?
0: That's a great question. I wonder if we'll get more responses to that question than to the food question we had this week. The pressure is on Yeah, the bar has been set. Yeah.
2: I hope somebody says the mother that ice, vanilla ice says word to. I hope that <laughs> I'm assuming that's a fictional mother.
0: Yo, VIP, <laughs> let's kick it. All right. <laughs> That's the listener question. You could respond on Twitter, Facebook, and now TikTok. We're on TikTok. (laughs) Lest you think Livewire is not hip. So you know we're at Livewire Radio in all of those places. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the Livewire House Party. A big thanks to our guests, Michelle Zahner, Lacey Mosley, and Kishi Bashi. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is
2: our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. And Jennifer Vo is our social media manager. Our music is composed by A. Walker Spring. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer.
0: Additional funding provided by the Oregon Cultural Trust and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. LiveWire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff this week. We would like to thank member Michael and Edie Smith of Everett, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole LiveWire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.